Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. I'm Immortal Alexander. And I'm Jeanette Andromeda. We are a podcast about writing. We answer the questions that you want to know. Today, our special guest is author Libby Hawker. Libby writes in many genres of books, and she's actually written 36 books to date. The topic we'll be tackling today is pantsing versus plotting. Libby is the author of Take Off Your Pants, Outline Your Books for Faster, Better Writing. Welcome Libby Hawker to the Ninth Story Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> so Libby, a lot uh, we gave in the intro just a little brief overview of who you are, um, but can you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit? Yeah, um, my name's Libby Hawker. I write fiction for a living. And I am just about to finish up my 36th novel. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, it's gone by fast from, from number one to number 36. It's, it's zoomed by faster than I can believe. Um, I mostly write historical fiction. I also do some literary fiction, which sadly doesn't pay well. And occasionally I dabble in urban fantasy and romance under other pen names. Nice. <laughs> can I ask a question that's totally off topic? Um, yeah, since totally. you use a couple different pen names... Um, do you find that's really helpful to kind of subdivide your genres that way? Yes, very, very helpful. Uh, um, I don't think it's always necessary to pick up a different pen name, but it becomes useful when you want to use it for really specific branding purposes to kind of separate two different audiences. So like my historical fiction readers are not going to be interested in checking out my urban fantasy. They're going to be like, what? <laughs> you know, it's not up their alley. So there's kind of no point in publishing that under that pen name because it's not, you know, I'm not going to pick up any sales, maybe a few, um, but I'm not going to pick up anything for, for my existing audience. I really have to sort of market to an entirely different audience. And that different, you know, urban fantasy or, you know, kind of speculative fiction audience is probably not going to be interested in my historical fiction either. So there's just no point in putting them under the same name and by separating them out and having different uh, pen names for, you know, those really disparate genres, it gives you an opportunity to really build a brand that can be strong and cohesive and kind of off by itself doing its own independent thing in different genres. Um, so yeah, I found it very useful. And I also have found it really useful to write in other genres um, as well, not only because it gives me a much needed and very welcome creative break <laughs> sometimes, believe it or not, like if you write <laughs> nothing but historical fiction all the time, it starts to get pretty boring. Uh -huh. uh, it's, it's nice to have a little departure and kind of give myself a creative break and try something new. Um, but also what is really useful for having different genres and different pen names going on is that it allows me to promote effectively each and every month. So um, if some of the biggest promotion sites like BookBub, for example, is one of the big ones, of course, mm -hmm. you can only promote under one pen name once every 30 days on BookBub. But if you have multiple pen names, you could potentially run, you know, however many BookBub promotions you have pen names for. Awesome. <laughs> so it, yeah, it can help keep the money coming in if you kind of diversify a little bit. So that's why I do it. That is incredibly fascinating. And I uh, thank you for sharing that because I'd always wondered, you know, I know other authors kind of slip into different pen names and I do the same thing with my artwork. Like, my horror art, etc., is Jeanette Andromeda versus my like just personal commissioned art, which is like flowers and things, which are so you know delightful. Totally different name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's just a branding technique, and mm -hmm. it, it works pretty well. So I encourage people to do it if you write fast enough to maintain multiple pen names. Awesome. So I know what everyone's burning question is now, and uh, Alex is going to ask it. <laughs> So, Libby, on to the age-old debate. To plot or to pants? <laughs> what does it mean to be a plotter or a pantser? Oh, the classic debate. <laughs> um, yeah, so among the writers of the, of the universe, uh, plotting versus pantsing, that's such a common topic that comes up for discussion, like on forums or in writing groups or whatever. And basically all it means is, do you plan your book out before you start to write it? That's the plotting version. Or do you fly by the seat of your pants? And that's obviously the pantsing version. <laughs> um, yeah, 
it's, it's a it's a debate I've engaged in many many times over the years as I've talked to other writers, and uh, it seems to be a subject that never gets old and always ends in the same fight where people get mad at each other, and a moderator has to step into the forum and tell everyone to stop fighting. So <laughs> that's, that's the basics behind plotting and pantsing. But it's such a passionate topic because writing's such a personal things that makes sense that people get so fired up about no pantsy's better no put it just like screaming and start throwing books at each other <laughs> oh yeah yeah totally I, I i get it it is it's very personal because you know our creative processes and the way we approach whatever it is we do creatively whether it's writing or painting or you know anything else um it, it is such a personal uh personal thing and and yeah sometimes if somebody comes out and says method a is better than method b B, if you subscribe to method B, then, you know, you might get kind of ticked off about that, but there's no, there's no universal better, but certain techniques are better to achieve certain ends. So it depends on what exactly you're trying to accomplish, not only with that book, but with your overall career, whether, whether you should plot or pants. Absolutely. And, um, we even have friends that are just like dedicated pantsers. They've tried outlining, they hate it and they'll produce like a couple books every year. And that works just, just fine for them. Um, I'm envious and I'm glad that you talk about that in your book is like the difference, um, between pantsers, plotters and, and people who are just like epically amazing at the pantsing process. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> how? <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty incredible when someone can write a book from start to finish without having to sort of do any advanced planning. I'm always gobsmacked by that. It's amazing. I can't do it. <laughs> I do still, I, I enjoy pantsing when I can, like when I have the time in my schedule to just have a lot of creative freedom and really explore and just sort of see where something takes me. I love doing it. Um, but, but the harsh reality of writing for a living is that you have to be able to stick to a schedule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you do nothing but pants all the time, um, your schedule tends to get away from you and that can spell disaster. So um, understanding how to plot so you can at least use it when you need to, even if you don't use it all the time, mm -hmm. is a very useful skill to have and and uh, definitely serves me well most of the time. <laughs> most of my books I have to plan out before I start to write them. Uh, so for short stories, I personally prefer to pants it uh, because I just want the you know creative process to flow uh, organically. But for longer novels like the one I'm working on right now for NaNoWriMo, I wrote a loose outline first and then I'm kind of plotting it as I go along. Uh, have you ever taken on NaNoWriMo and, and what process did you take on if you did so? Yeah, um, I have tried NaNoWriMo in the past past several years back um i did not win any month that I, any year that i attempted i think i tried three years in a row and i just couldn't do it but um i'm really really into like holiday celebrations and so november is insanely busy for me like i don't just do one thanksgiving i usually do at least two or three um and it just, I don't have enough time to, <laughs> to sit and write an entire novel in November. So every time I tried NaNoWriMo, I was very disheartened because I just couldn't finish a, a book in that time. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is now that I'm doing this for a living, I routinely write a novel in like three to six weeks, depending on how long the book's going to be like all year long. I just constantly write more and more novels and I frequently finish them in just one month. So, um, so I've been able to, to give myself my own NaNoWriMo's just not in November. Um. And as for the methods I use when I am able to finish a book in a month, um, it's almost always one where I outline the book in advance. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it helps me so much with uh, with speed is because it allows me to avoid kind of going off into into the weeds, I guess you could say, and just like riding off into these corners where nothing can really happen there and I have to sort of backtrack and you know, take the story from a, a previous point and sort of take it in a different direction instead. I mean, that's a lot of time that you know, you basically, from my perspective as a professional writer who does this for a living, that's mm -hmm. kind of wasted time. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, if you have to go back and delete, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 words that you, <laughs> that you suddenly can't use because you realize your book needs to go in a totally different direction. So um, the outlining for me helps me to avoid those kind of dead ends that I get into and make sure when I do write, I'm always writing uh, with a real clear roadmap and that I understand exactly where the story is going to go and why it's going to go there so that I can, you know, effectively bring everything together in a reasonable amount of time and, and avoid, you know, just things that aren't going to be kept later anyway when I go into edits. You basically just described my writing process. <laughs> it's like I'm writing into a corner. Oh, that corner makes no sense. Throw away. Um, <laughs> so 
What inspired you to use the plotting technique in the first place? Um, so when I wrote my first book, uh, was in 2009, I think I finished it in 2009. Um, I, I, I didn't really, I mean, I, I was writing about a, a real event and a real figure from history. So I kind of had a little bit of a guideline to work off of, but I didn't have, you know, the specifics of what was going to happen in, in my version of that story all planned out. Um, so I kind of had this bird's eye view of where I was going, but that was it. And it ended up by the time I got to the end of the book and I actually started, you know, working with editors and stuff and having my friends sort of beta read it for me and everything. Everyone kind of pointed out that there was this whole subplot in this book that just really didn't need to be there. It just didn't serve any purpose. So I ended up cutting the whole thing out, like anything that referred to that subplot, I, I removed it. And the book was much better and much tighter and, and, you know, better paced and everything for, for that removal. But it was like... 35,000 words. And wow. back then, you know, yeah, it was, it was a lot of subplot that just got hacked right out of there. <laughs> and back then before I was, you know, like doing this full time, every, you know, 35,000 words was, God, I don't even know how many hours of work mm -hmm. and not just hours of work, but like hours that I had to wring out of my already very limited free time. You know, I was working at a regular day job. I had a really stressful commute at the time. I also had all this other stuff going on in my life at that point, like I was going through a divorce and everything, right? So, oh my gosh. so I, yeah, my free time was limited and, yeah. and to lose 35,000 words worth of hours that I put into that was like crushing to me. I was like, oh my God, like, oh, I can't believe I did that to myself. <laughs> like, yeah. spent all this time working all this stuff that's just gone now. So at that point, I decided I needed to come up with a better uh, method for, for starting my book so that I understood from the beginning whether something was going to be relevant to the to my end product or not. Um, so that's why I just started researching all different types of outlining methods. I read all these different books about story structure and and pl creating plots and, you know, story theory, you know, stuff like uh, The Hero's Journey, you know, all, all that, mm -hmm. all the classic stuff that everybody tells you to read when you start out writing. Um, and you're, and they're right, you should read that stuff. <laughs> it's a good education. Um, and eventually I just started kind of making my own method for outlining that was a, a kind of a mishmash of all these things I picked up from different sources. And when I started to employ it and, and work on, you know, my next book and then the one after that and everything else, I kind of further refined my process until I had it down to this really streamlined uh, working structure that I really liked and just felt really great to me. Um, so that's when I, I just started doing that with pretty much every book I wrote, almost every book. And um, it has worked out really well. I mean, my speed improved dramatically. The quality of my books, my editors were noting like, wow, you write so clean. There's like almost nothing wow. to fix except a few typos. Yeah, it was great. It was a huge improvement over, <laughs> over what I did the first first time or two with my books. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm glad that you, yeah. um, through your book, uh, Take Off Your Pants, are sharing that information with all of us so that <laughs> we can all uh, maybe save ourselves some of that pain <laughs> in the future. Um, well, thank I'm so glad that book's been helpful. I really never expected it to, to be as popular or as useful as it, as it is. <laughs> um, I just, I did it because, you know, I had a bunch of friends who were like, wow, you can write so fast. How do you do it? And so I just kept sending them emails, like where I write out the same information over and over again. And I was like, eh, as long as I'm writing this out for the 20th time, I should just turn it into an ebook and <laughs> see if anyone wants to buy it. So I did. <laughs> so yeah, I've been surprised that so many people have found it useful. It's great. I, I think it's because you, you break it down in such a simple way. You're just like, okay, here are the basics. Here's what you need to work with. And here, and I also love your personal anecdotes. In particular, um, your example of pantsing versus uh, outlining, which is your book, Baptism for the Dead versus The Crook and Flail, um, which yeah. had two very different writing approaches. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Um Baptism for the Dead was my second novel. And while I was working on that book, I was still sort of developing this process of outlining. I hadn't finalized it yet. So Baptism for the Dead, which ended up being about 60, 65,000 words long. It's not a, not a long book. Um, took me two years to finish <laughs> 65,000 words. The third book I wrote was The Crook and Flail. And that was the one that um, I first employed the a conscious outlining method from the beginning. Okay. That book was 90,000 words. So half again, as long as Baptism for the Dead. And it took me, God, I don't remember, but uh, maybe you remember because you recently read Take Off Your Pants and I've written so many books now that I, I can't recall how, how long it takes me to write each one. But it took me like, I think about six weeks to finish it. Yeah, I think that's what you uh, said in your book. Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was about a month and a half. And um, 
and I was, that was still while I was working full time and writing in my free time. So you can see it was just a huge improvement in time efficiency from, from baptism to, for the dead to crook and flail is just like a quantum leap forward. So yeah, as soon as I finished that book in approximately six weeks, uh, six weeks, I was like, Whoa, I'm doing this from now on with everything. <laughs> it's just a huge, huge improvement. Um, actually, I, I took the uh, um, ended up taking the James Patterson online masterclass course on writing a little while ago, and um, outlining was definitely a part of the process, and it was really inspiring for me uh, as a person who's just getting started in novel writing. Uh, that specific technique could help me make commercial works right off the bat. There was yeah. there, there was a ways of getting the reader excited that I could actually depend upon. Right. Yeah. It, I think when people are first approaching approaching the the process of writing a book for the first time or maybe the second or third time when you still are kind of trying to get all those skills together and figure out how it all clicks um i think people are surprised at that phase to to realize that there are very particular things you can do that will virtually guarantee that a reader will be interested and invested in your book um because i mean we tend to think of books as being unique you know all everyone's different and and they all have these different features that draw you to one particular author or one particular book. And that is true to an extent, but also every story kind of has the exact same elements in it. Yeah. Once you you understand what those elements are, it becomes so much easier to consciously put them into your work and to understand why you're putting them in. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm bringing this element in because I want this main character to feel really relatable to the reader, or maybe I'm bringing in this element because I want the reader to feel slightly alienated from this main character and not be sure whether they can trust them. Cause that's going to be the big twist at the end is whether they're a good guy or a bad guy. You know, there are all these, these things you can do with real purpose and through conscious choice to, to make your book have one particular tone or to make it appeal to this audience or that one. And kind of unlocking that like key to story in some ways takes a little bit of the like mystique out of writing and out of stories themselves. But at the same time, it's also kind of comforting and, and um, nice to know that, that you can do this as long as you have generally good communication skills and a good imagination, pretty much anybody can write a book. Like it's not restricted to just this chosen few like if you can do it whoever's out there listening to this podcast right now you can totally write books <laughs> <laughs> and 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 have people want to buy them too and maybe even get it out there and uh tangent <laughs> you mentioned in like the first thing you're talking about is being a commercial writer versus being a hobby writer and um how speed is important to being a commercial writer and i just i wanted to touch on what exactly is your definition of being a commercial writer? Sure. Um, my definition of a commercial writer is somebody who can reliably earn a livable wage off of their writing, mm-hmm. um, which means you're, you're producing enough fiction. In, in my case, I guess you know there are other types of commercial writers too, but if, to use my own career as an example, you're producing enough fiction um, at a rapid enough pace and of a particular quality that it hits a commercial audience, which is an audience that um, is eager to buy and wants a particular type of story and is totally ready to throw money at it as long as you give them what they want. Um, and, you know, not everybody wants to be a commercial writer because it does, it definitely, like, trust me on this. <laughs> no one knows this better than I do. It forces you to write a particular type of book and and to write in a particular style. And that may not be what you are best at or what you love to write the most. So it's a, it's a crossroads I came to in my own career where I had to really examine what I was doing and say, like, do I want to keep writing for a living? Because like, I'm not always able to write what I want to write. But you know, on the other hand, writing anything for a living sure beats the hell out of working in finance, sitting in a (laughs) cute day, which is (laughs) one of the many things I did before where I was very dissatisfied and really didn't enjoy life much. So, um, but you know, that's a decision that everybody's going to have to face for their own selves and and make according to, you know, what their heart directs. Um, Some people don't really want to write commercial fiction for a living. And, um, you know, unless you really have a huge stroke of luck and you have a, you know, random lightning strike experience and you're, you know, what you want to write just happens happens to align with what's going to sell like crazy, um, you know, you're, you're probably going to end up in the same boat I was in where you have to ask yourself like, well, do I just write whatever sells and enjoy being a writer? 
or do I feel sad about how I can't write what I want to write? <laughs> so that's the thing. Like, and that's, that's why like, I'm not in take off your pants. When I say, you know, there are commercial writers and hobby writers, I'm not disparaging hobby writers mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. Believe me, I have many, many days where I sit there and think, God, I wish I was just a hobby writer again. <laughs> like there is some real good things in, in being able to write whatever you feel like writing. So, yep. I can definitely see that. And I now even more understand the multiple pen names is like, yeah, getting stuck in just one genre would be really frustrating <laughs> after a while. Oh, it's God. Like, okay. Not only one genre, but like one niche within your genre. So mm-hmm. you know how Facebook has those little things that like remind you of stuff you said however many years ago? Yes. I just got one this morning that made me laugh so hard because, <laughs> <laughs> because first of all, okay, it was, it was about my one, two, three, my fourth book I ever wrote, Sovereign of Stars. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this post about it and I was like, oh, I just got a, this bad review from a reader who, who pinpointed like everything I didn't like about the book, you know, like everything I pinpointed as a problem, this reader also picked up on as a problem. And so my Facebook post was like, well, I guess every author has one book that's not their greatest. First of all, you know, five or six years later, ha ha at me thinking Sovereign of Stars was not my, my best book. I have had so many bigger <laughs> flops since then. <laughs> And then also I was like, well, I only have to write one more Egyptian novel and then I'll never have to write in ancient Egypt again. Yeah. You want to guess how many novels I have in ancient Egypt right now? Because it's like what I have to write to keep my bills paid. I'm finishing my tent and I have plans for like 14 total. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. I'm never going to stop writing about ancient Egypt because it pays my mortgage. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> So that's the, sorry to shatter anybody's dreams out there, but the reality of writing for a living is you'll start to hate what you write sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You just have it anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's still better than working in finance. I mean, I, I also, yeah. <laughs> I also came out of working in financial services and it was definitely very soul crushing. So mm-hmm. yeah. for you, Libby, what was it like for the transition between being a part-time and now a full-time writer? Oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> What was the transition like? I was like partying in my mind 24-7 for like six straight months. Nice. It was so good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I made it. Woo! <laughs> it was great. And I still, I mean, in spite of all the complaints I just I just lodged in, in over the course of this podcast, I still love it. I love the hell out of this job. It's so fun. I would rather write commercial Egypt, Egyptian historical fiction than do anything else for a living. Like, I don't care if it's not even what I write the best. I, I, it's so much fun. It's wonderful. And it's great. I, I also, I can't really write more than like four hours max per day. Mm-hmm. So I work like 20 hours a week and that's it. I mean, are oh, you nice. kidding me? It's a great job. Yeah. Even, yeah, even having to write what like maybe doesn't inspire me the most, it's still an awesome job. So A++ would write for a living again. <laughs> and what was it like when you were still working at your old job and uh, starting to write? Oh God, that's a great question. Cause so like, I always knew I wanted to be a writer from the time I was like eight years old, but I never really started writing, which was dumb. So kids don't do that. (laughs) If you want to be a writer, you got to write. Yeah. I I didn't really take it seriously and like really focus and start writing until I was about 28 years old. Um, And that's, I don't know, something just clicked in my head. I mean, I was, you know, I was in my first marriage, which I was not very satisfied with. And I was dissatisfied with a lot of things in my life. And I just just kind of clung to the writing thing with this tenacity feeling like I don't like a lot of things about my life, but by God, I will become a writer. (laughs) Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to like something. I'm going to meet some goal, you know? Um, so I just gave it everything I had. And I mean, I'm not even exaggerating when I say literally all my free time went into writing. It was constant. It got to the point where like, I really didn't have a social life for like two years. Um, I lost contact with a lot of my friends and stuff because Mm -hmm. like I would come home from work and I would write until it was time to go to bed. And I would wake up, I would go to work, I would come home and I would write. And I just did that for like, 24 solid months. Um, I, I don't, I I didn't find it lonely, which I guess, um, is weird maybe looking back on that. But, um, I was so focused on just like improving something about my life. And and that was, you know, what I chose to be the improvement that I was just really dedicated to that. Um, but it it was, I mean, it was a lot of work. I I got rid of my TV. So I, I still don't have a TV actually, because I just got used to not having one, but got rid 
to my TV. I convinced myself that the internet was boring, which was an amazing feat. But again, another thing that I still cling to today where like all I do is check Facebook once a day and then email like a few times a day and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I just, I just kind of um, weaned myself off of all other forms of entertainment. And the only fun I allowed myself to have was to just sit and create these stories. And that's what I did. And I, I guess it paid off, although I only wrote, you know, two books during that time because I was not plotting them out <laughs> but but I learned a lot from those two books so that's good the the journey is important as we've learned in every book we've ever read <laughs> so <laughs> right and hey you know that first book I ever wrote is still one of my best sellers so that's awesome no yeah it's great I love that it gives me such a warm fuzzy feeling every time I see the cover I'm like you were my first kiss Aww. kiss <laughs> <laughs> so what does make a great outline Um, I think a great outline first and foremost is clear and has a very, uh, precise direction. So you know where it's going. And I don't think it needs to necessarily be, uh, too detailed. Like you don't need to know the specifics of everything that happens in every single scene, but you need to understand where your character is going and why. And I don't just mean like a physical destination, you know, because sometimes you have like quest novels or something where they're physically going from point A to point B. That's fine. But you have to understand where the character is going in in the terms of an internal journey. And the reason why I think that's so important to have like a, uh, like an emotional journey your character goes on, or, you know, you could call it a spiritual or a psychological journey too. um, That really sets a hook in, in a reader in a very clear and very strong way that's really hard for them to shake off. So, you know, we're social creatures. I talk about this and take off your pants, but you know, we're social animals. We're really drawn to our own kind mm-hmm. um, or, or any other personality. In, in the case of even books like, you know, Watership Down that have all animal characters in it, you, they still have human-like personalities. Mm-hmm. So whenever mm-hmm. we see, whenever we sense a person who um, is struggling in some way, we're very compelled to watch that you know it just draws our attention we're captivated by it so setting up um an outline that has a a real clear personal struggle that your character goes on from the beginning and that gets resolved by the end um, or at least a resolution is hinted at by the end that's one of the most crucial things i think in making a book really successful and really make sure it hits all the right notes with your readers libby if a book is historical or very research intensive how important is the outline process Um, I think it's very important, but I think the outline process is just as important in any genre. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if you are trying to make, you know, a more commercial type book, that's going to connect really strongly with an audience and hopefully bring in some money. Um, I think it's equally important regardless of whether, uh, you require a lot of research to understand that subject well, or whether it's something you can totally make up on the fly. Um, and that, is because you know that outline or at least the way I do outlines is so focused on the character themselves Mm -hmm. and really like you know I write historical fiction is it's my main jam um and the research is a huge part of it for sure but really what it's all about is that journey the character's going on emotionally to kind of fix themselves regardless of the setting regardless of the time um, regardless of whether it's you know fantasy or like contemporary realism whatever the character is struggling with is what's going to really suck the reader in and hold them tight to your story. Um, but in terms of, if, you know, I mean, if you're asking about just purely historical fiction, the research is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily like the outline itself. Um, but that fan base, that audience for historical fiction really expects a high degree of fidelity to known facts. Mm-hmm. And if you need to deviate from any known history for whatever reason, um, you know, for story purposes or just for drama or whatever, you better explain how and why in a historical note or the bad reviews will come a pouring in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a pretty specific uh specific audience that really expects a a special type of reading experience. And um, you have to be able to deliver that if you want to do historical fiction. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. So I'm I'm definitely curious because growing up, historical fiction was one of my favorite things, along with fantasy and so many other things. Um, But when you so if your plot or not your plot, and I'll get to dear listeners why I'm going to correct the fact that I use the word plot later um, (laughs) in your outline, since your outline's so character focused, how do you start building in the historical facts? How do you start taking what you've learned with your research and start building that into the story as like the scenery rather than the actual 
story? How do you start mixing that together? Oh, great question. Um, so whenever I'm going to write a historical novel, I spend a lot of time prior to, to actually working on, you know, the outline and everything uh, involved with the writing of the book, researching and just gathering as much information as I can about the setting, the time period, the specific characters that are going to be in it if they're, you know, based on real people. Um, and I just absorb everything I can find about that subject um, and kind of with an open mind, I just suck it all up and put it in my brain and just let whatever's going to, you know, I, I try not to have any preconceived notions about what the book's going to be like or what the character will be like or what the theme will be like. Once I understand um, all of the historical kind of structure things that need to go into the book that I intend to write, then I sort of take what I've learned about that character in that setting and I choose the flaw that the character's going to have to struggle against based on what I've learned. Um mm. So for example, right now I'm doing research for a new series, which I don't think I'll get around to even starting until like the end of 2018, but that's how far in advance I start <laughs> reading about this stuff. And I'm researching um, the Sultanate of women in, in the, uh, uh, oh God, the Ottoman Empire. To totally lost that word for a second. <laughs> I was going to say Byzantine Empire. That's totally wrong. That's the guys they conquered. Um, so I'm, I'm researching the Sultanate of women in the Ottoman Empire and um specifically uh, Hudem Sultan, who is this the first woman to ever get a sultan to marry her instead of just being like a concubine. Yeah. So um, yeah. I think that's pretty fascinating that she was able to completely change this this long established power structure. And, you know, like, why? How did she do that? That's my big question. So right now I'm just reading everything I can find about uh, Suleiman the Magnificent and all of his various wives and all, everybody who surrounded him, all the campaigns he went on. What else was happening elsewhere in the world? the time like who was in power in Europe blah 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 just stuffing all this stuff into my head and then once I you know feel I have researched enough about that subject that I start to kind of um that I start to sort of just get a feel for story kind of you know when I sit and think about that subject I'll, I'll just kind of start to get some little thrills when I sort of think off in one direction or another like oh yeah that's a good thing I should put that in a book or whatever then I know it's time to start writing and then I just take whoever my main character is going to be, look at the overall impression I have of the historical period I'm writing about, and then make her have a flaw that relates to um, the setting and, you know, the, the political issue that she's embroiled in or whatever. And there's always a lot of politics in historical fiction. So, so I'm, you know, thinking about who I am Sultan and like what her, what her main issue is going to be. And, you know, all the, all the things she lived through and saw and things she accomplished later in her life. And, and I don't really know what her flaw is going to be in my book yet, but I am confident that I'll come up with one. I just kind of let it percolate until something sort of makes itself known. Thank you. I've always been very curious about that because historical fiction just is so beefy as far as how much information has to go in. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it is beefy for sure. <laughs> Uh, Libby, any great story has a strong beginning, middle, and end. How do you apply that concept to an individual chapter? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, well, just like an overall story, every compelling, interesting chapter has a beginning, middle, and end. And um, in Take Off Your Pants, I talk about ways you can actually think of your overall book and then even of each chapter and of each scene in kind of a visual term that will help you determine whether you're um, putting enough tension and, and um, pace into your book to keep people really hooked and to keep kind of pushing them along and wanting to keep turning the pages or hitting the next button on their Kindle. Um, but visually, I like to think of not only the book as a whole, but also each chapter as, as like a, a funnel funnel shapes if you think of funnels are like wide open at the top and then really pointy and narrow at the bottom mm -hmm. so at the beginning of either a book or of a chapter or even a scene that you're working on you should have this kind of wide open moment where your character maybe has a lot of options open to them but then as they make a decision and then make another decision and another the walls kind of narrow and they sort of start to shoot down into the funnel and they're sort of accelerating toward that little narrow point, which is the climactic moment of that chapter or scene or, or you know, of your book, of the ending. Mm -hmm. um, so that really helps me to kind of have a visual to look back over a chapter I've just written or maybe when I'm looking at my outline and kind of de determining whether uh, whether that's going to – whether what I've just sort of jotted down as notes can actually stand as an entire chapter, whether it needs to be a scene within a chapter. I kind of ask myself, well, does this have like a wide open beginning 
And then as my character makes decisions, does she sort of start accelerating toward, you know, she has increasingly fewer choices, the more choices she makes until she's kind of pushed toward one final decision that's that feels big and climactic. So um, that's that's how I think of chapters. I don't know how other people do it. (laughs) (laughs) I like the funnel effect. I'm going to definitely use that as I move forward. Um, There's a lot of information in your book that has really been incredibly helpful for me personally, especially now that I dove into NaNoWriMo. I wish I had read your book even sooner because then I'd have an actual, you know, outline to work with. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) there's something really, yeah, it's still incredibly helpful. And I'll probably, I think today, later on today, I'm just going to like take a step back. Okay, maybe I need an outline uh, to help me out a little bit because I hit a wall today. And then I remembered something you said in your book, which made me go, Oh, God, my whole life has been a lie. Um, (laughs) Outlines are not plot outlines, and I have only ever written outlines as plot points. Here's an event. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening next. And had no, no real, like, focus on the character story arc, which is the biggest thing that you talk about. And, uh... I don't know that 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 just explains why I kept getting stuck so often every time I tried to write you know that first novel um I kept thinking about plot so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your personal view on uh the difference between plot and story is yeah no I'm I'm glad you picked up on that I I I do think it's a really crucial aspect of storycraft to understand the difference between a plot mm-hmm. and like an actual arc. <laughs> and I, the words can kind of be used interchangeably, but I use them that way in the book to sort of just dis- make distinct what I'm talking about. Um, so I use the term plot to refer to like um, a series of external events that are just going on kind of around your character and your character's participating in them too. They're part of it. But it's not what your what the point of your story really is. The point isn't necessarily about I'm gonna go on the quest and I'm gonna retrieve the jewel from the evil sorceress and then everything will be fixed. You know, like like <laughs> yes, it's about that. But it's more about the fact that in order to go retrieve the jewel from the evil sorceress, your character has to overcome their self-doubt, right? Like that's what makes it compelling is the fact that they start out thinking, I can never retrieve the jewel from the evil sorceress. I'm just some loser from a farm, like we're going to use every fantasy trope here. I'm I'm an orphan loser from a farm who was taken in by my, my uncle and aunt. (laughs) I've read this book. Yeah, We've all read this book a million times. I can't be the chosen one. And then they go on the quest and over the course of the quest, they overcome this, you know, uh, humble, you know, low opinion of themselves. Mm-hmm. And they realize that they do in fact have power and that they can they can affect the change in the world around them. That's what the story is really about, is this person sort of blossoming into who they're really meant to be. Mm-hmm. And an example of how you can tell that that um, the events, the specifics of the story are not as important as what's going on with the characters is look at how many films have are, are like a remade versions of, say, Shakespeare or other like classic literature. Sure, mm-hmm. um, where they're set in like other times and you know they're set in like contemporary times in a modern high school or you know whatever mm-hmm. um, you can take Romeo and Juliet or Much Ado About Nothing or whatever you can you can take what all those characters are going through and put those onto characters in completely different settings who are going to experience completely different uh, specific events but you're still going to get the same general story behind it mm-hmm. so that's that's what I mean when I'm talking about plot being a series of events and then story being this arc that a character is going on. You don't want to focus on the series of events because in almost every case you can completely change them and it will leave you the same story at its heart. So you have to um, stop thinking about plot in terms of like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And instead think of your story in terms of my character needs this. This is what they're afraid of. This is how they're screwing up their own lives if they go on this quest throughout the course of the story, you know, I, I use the word quest loosely. There it doesn't need to be a literal fantasy quest, but if they, if they embark on this journey of like self discovery over the course of, you know, following along after this plot, they will become this at the end of it. That that's the way you need to think of story to make it really compelling. And thank you so much because everything I write from this moment onwards is going to be so different. <laughs> Like, I can just feel it in my brain going, click. Oh, there's that light bulb. Hey, where have you been? It's 
been in a dark room this whole time. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> Especially if you're writing a space opera. So, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so, Libby, um, <laughs> what's that? I love space operas. I haven't written any yet, but I love them. Yes. <laughs> Libby, your, your book, uh, Take Off Your Pants, is all about efficiency and being able to make deadlines. Uh, were you always very organized or did the act of switching to plotting create an environment for better organization? Um, super duper not always organized. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah, God, my poor husband puts up with like my disorganization on a daily basis. It's it's tragic. Um, no, I've, I've never been a very organized person and this came about specifically because I wanted so badly to write books for a living and I was like I, I have to figure out a way to get more efficient with this like I, I forced myself to organize because I had to um but no I'm, I'm not normally I'm not an organized person in, in the rest of my life <laughs> so it's kind of sad really <laughs> this is the only thing I can do really well <laughs> it makes me feel a whole heck of a lot better <laughs> Oh, oh, you God, can yeah. make it happen and not be a total organized, amazing person. Um, yeah. No, if you saw like my bedroom or my clothes are just like in a pile and, and at least I keep them to one corner. But hey, that works. yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not remotely organized. <laughs> what kind of goals do you set for yourself in a month as far as your writing goes? Um. In a month, I'm not sure that I really have a particular goal. Um, my goal is to keep a book coming out under my main pen name, which is Libby Hawker, every three to four months. Like that's kind of my my constant overarching goal. So I just kind of do whatever I need to do to to reach that. So my minimum is I, I write four days a week, mm -hmm. and I take three days off, and um, my minimum is 3,500 words per day when I'm when I'm writing. Um, so that's what I do. And, and if I hit 3,500 and I'm still feeling it and I want to keep going, I'd go crazy and let myself keep going for as long as I want to. <laughs> there are definitely some days where I literally can't even get to 300 words without just wanting to bash my head against a wall. It's <laughs> <laughs> there are some days where it's just, it doesn't want to come out and I have to force myself to get to 3,500 and it's torture. So you're not alone in that people if you have days where you're like oh my god <laughs> it happens to all of us again I feel a lot better <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean the the life of a person who is writing full-time like for a living as their sole source of income it's a lot less glamorous and a lot less uh unobtainable than I think a lot of people believe when they're when they're kind of waiting to get up to that point themselves because I mean I remember back when I was like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be a writer someday. I had all these preconceived notions about like what it must be like to write for a living and to be a writer and all that stuff. Uh, reality does not line up with the expectations. Not at all. I love it, but it's whatever you're thinking my life is like, it's not like that. <laughs> Trust me. It's really not. <laughs> so you don't just have llamas everywhere? <laughs> no, I would love to. But, um, no. I mean, Darn. yeah, it's it's a very ordinary, uh, pleasant but ordinary life. I mean, there's nothing special and fancy about me. I'm I'm about as as ordinary as human beings come. Um, and yeah, I'm not like touched by a muse. I'm not more special than anybody else out there who's listening to this. Like, there's nothing about me that makes me, um, you know, the person who can obtain writing while for a living while other people cannot. Like, there's there's literally nothing holding anybody back from doing this. So you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> So Libby, uh, what do you enjoy most about pantsing it when you can afford the time to do so? Oh, I enjoy everything about pantsing when I when I can <laughs> afford the time to do so. I really do love it. it it's it's fun. I love just um, letting my most passionate and and um, most emotional writing just come out however it wants to come out. I love just kind of letting letting the story take me where it were into new exciting places that I never dreamed it would go. I love all that stuff. It's great. I desperately wish I could do that all the time. <laughs> it is wonderful. So all those people out there who are like, no way I love pantsing. I'm never going to give it up. I totally feel you. <laughs> it's great. It, it's such a wonderful creative artistic process. And, and I just, I adore it. It's, it's so much fun. So, yeah. So other than making a living at it, 
what is the driving force behind you writing so much? Um, other than making a living at it, which is pretty important at this stage, especially yep. since like my husband quit his job. So I'm the only one earning an income from my books. Um, but the main driving force for it, I think, uh, it's the one thing I know I can do pretty well. Like, and I'm not the greatest writer in the world. I'm not saying that like, Oh, it's the one thing I do magnificently. Like, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that good. Um, but it's the one thing I know I can I can do reliably well, and I like feeling you know good about about myself and what I do. So, um, so that's that's why. Even though my most recent two books are getting kind of chewed up in reviews right now, but I, I still maintain that I am good and I do it well, <laughs> despite what some people think. <laughs> Bad reviews are gonna happen, and then there's all those other people who don't say anything that just loved it. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So like, even though the, the most recent two books I put out and then I'm releasing one very soon, that's the third in this trilogy, and I'll be very glad to be done with it, <laughs> getting terrible reviews, because I think a lot of people just didn't get what I was going for with oh. it. So so getting lots of bad reviews and still earning me the most money out of all my books right now. So when? for all you people out there who fear the bad reviews, don't worry, it doesn't necessarily mean your books won't sell well. I don't know what's going on with the series, but <laughs> people hate it. And People are buying it like crazy, so whatever. <laughs> that works. You <laughs> so, Libby, your book, Take Off Your Pants, is a great book that is not one-sided in its views towards writing, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I think we're all always learning and having respect for all uh, types of writing styles and, and, and how people take on their writing is very important. Um having like a bank, a blanketed opinion about without any context or experience or education is simply closing the door to learning uh, something that is, is very useful. So I really enjoyed how open-minded you were about mm -hmm. your opinion on uh, plotting and not completely dismissing pantsing and, and, and that it does have value. It just depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Horses for courses as the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, Thank you enough for, um, one, writing that book in the first place, and two, for talking to us about it and, and really sharing your experience and some of your crazy amount of knowledge. Um, I know this is really going to help me like with actually feeling like I maybe can accomplish NaNoWriMo, um, and I hope that everything you've shared will help some other writers out there to not feel so... like downtrodden like oh i can't pants like the best of them and maybe you do need an outline maybe you don't i don't know and the fact that you just say it's whatever your goal is i think will help a lot of people so thank you thank you thank you for sharing this with us oh no problem i'm i'm really glad to help and, and remember like if you are out there trying to finish your very first book it always takes a long time to write your first book i mean NaNoWriMo notwithstanding in order to you know bring the book to the point where you feel like it's a decent finished product, um, it's going to take time. And, and that's because finishing a book, you know, taking a book from an outline phase all the way to the end, um, and even all the way through edits, it requires this juggling of a whole bunch of different skills. Mm -hmm. And you just don't have those skills yet when you're first starting out writing, but you will get them, like you'll develop them. The more books you write, the easier it becomes to write a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so keep at it, guys. It, it'll happen. Remember, my first two books each took me two years to write, and then it sped up considerably after that. So, yeah. so you'll get there. <laughs> and even if you are a pantser, I think Libby's book is extraordinarily helpful and has a, really, a lot of really good information uh, for just creating a book in the first place, especially if you find yourself consistently stuck. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I have actually heard from a few people who are pantsers and are still pantsers, but who have said they found a lot of useful information that they didn't expect to find in my book. So <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> it's always good to hear. So where can our audience find more about you and some more of your crazy amounts of books and your work? Sure. Um, you can go to my website, LibbyHawker.com, and my name is spelled L-I-B-B-I-E-H-A-W-K-E-R. And you can find uh, most of my books on there and also, you know, check out my author page on Amazon as, as you do, and you'll find even more there as well. So yeah, that's, that's probably the easiest way. And if people want to email me and stuff, you're, you're welcome to, um, I will not tell you how to fix problems with your plot or <laughs> review your outline or anything. I get a lot of requests from people that are like, will you look over my outline and tell me if it's good? I'm like, nope. <laughs> no, <I'm not."> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That is a paid service. I'm sure somebody offers that. Yep. 
I mean, if I were more enterprising, I could probably make money from doing it. But like, I'm, I'm not an outline evaluator for my profession. I'm a, I'm a novelist. So I need to be writing novels. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what your character arc is based on that answer. So good job. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) An opinion is one thing, but definitely. Can you do this for me? Nah. 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 (laughs) I cannot. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Libby, for coming on the Ninth Story Podcast. It was wonderful having you on. Thanks. It was great to be here. I'd love to come back sometime if you guys ever want to have me again. Uh, yes, and please slash when. <laughs> yeah, yes, and whenever. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys were fun, so I'd love to come back on again. Um, I, As I mentioned, sort of when we were doing our sound checks, I might be coming out with another how-to book for authors at some point in the nearish future. I don't know when yet <laughs> so I can't say when but it will be specifically geared toward um helping people who have never finished a book before uh develop some of the skills they need to write their first book because that's you know just just like where take off your pants came out of me answering lots of the same questions over and over from friends mm-hmm. um this is another one that I keep answering over and over again so um, I'm going to turn it into a book and see if it helps other people so maybe when that comes out we can we can chat about it that would be perfect because I definitely yeah. think that if people are enjoying Take Off Your Pants, then they will probably also enjoy getting a little help even further with the big, beefy projects that they want to work on. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Libby Hawker, for joining us on our show. This was a lot of fun and definitely very helpful for us. And I'm sure it will be very helpful to other fellow NaNoWriMo writers. Or as the cool kids call them, NaNoWriMo's. Or our friend uh, who renamed his Twitter account to NaNoWriMace. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you can find more information about Libby and this episode at podcast.ninthstory.com forward slash S6E11. Please share your writing adventures with us. You can find us and the Ninth Story Podcast on Twitter. That's at Ninth Story Podcast. Or, for me specifically, at Jeanette Andromi. And you can find me at HTV Immortal. This has been the Ninth Story Podcast. And I'm Jeanette Andromeda. And I'm Immortal Alexander. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful NaNoWriMo day. That's the new outro song. <laughs> we don't have an outro song, but thank you for listening. We're annoying, but you love us. It's fine. It's fine. You can tell. You don't have to show us to our friends, your friends. No, it's fine. You, you can pretend we don't, we don't, we're not really with you. You know, you can just like, oh, I don't know these folks. <laughs> I just listen to their podcast. I just listen to their podcast. For some reason. <laughs> they just follow me home from school. It's, it's like, no, we're not dating. It's fine. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go fall over now. I'm Immortal Alexander. Hey, friends. I just showed up here. I'm not sure what my name is, but I'm lost in a world, and I don't know what it's going to do to me. My name is Immortal Alexander. I like to fly with ravens at night. I am a pickle. Pickles are very salty and vinegary. Yes. So, yeah. That's really great. Thank you so much, Libby. That was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Libby. (laughs) I just realized you're actually recording this. (laughs) I am. Oh my god. What have we said? Pickles are the best. You know, I had a surprise pickle yesterday. It came with my sandwich.